0: Welcome to the podcast of Mosaic Church, celebrating diversity within community. His city and his land, you shall do to Ai as its king and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off the plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All you be on alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say they are running away as they did before. So when we flee from them... You are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, it, you have my orders. And then Joshua sent them off, and they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army. And the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai and entered, and the entire force was with them. The entire force that was with them marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. And they set up camp north of Ai, the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. But the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city, Ambush to the west. That night Joshua went to the valley. And when the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking Araba. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all of Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or in Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver this city. So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand, and as soon as he did this, the men in ambush rose quickly from their positions and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction. The Israelites who had been fleeing towards the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw the ambush had taken the city and the smoke was going up from it, they turned around and attacked the men of Ai. Those in ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle. With the Israelites on both sides, Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had, chosen, where they had chased them, and when every one of them had put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were at. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, and the people of, all the people of Ai. Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and the plunder of the city, as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. And at sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body from the pole and throw it down at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remain to this day. And then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings. There in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites with their elders, officials, and judges were standing on both sides of the ark of the covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half of the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, and Moses... As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded, he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. And afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it was written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women, the children, and the foreigners who lived among them. All right. Joshua 8. So... We recapped a little bit earlier, but what has happened so far for Joshua's leadership of the people of Israel is he has come in, he has led the people up to the river that crosses over into the, to the land. He's received his word from God, be strong and courageous. He leads the people of God as God commanded them and he see miraculous stuff. In fact, God opens up the way for them to move into the into the promised land. And once they do, they build an altar to God there. And then they then remember Joshua tells the people, he says, hey, you know, the people who are going to stay on that side of the river, the half tribe of Manassas and of Benjamin and I can't remember the other one, but they wanted to stay on that side. And Joshua said, Okay, but remember the promise you made when Moses said he that, that you could have that land, that you were going to come and fight with us. And so they bring them over and they go in to take the land. So this is their um, idea of what's about to happen. But God says, here's what's actually going to happen. You're just going to walk. And they watch God perform a miracle that day. And God saved all those who feared him, including those who were not native Israelites, namely Rahab. And then they go up to Ai the first time, and they get whooped. They just get routed badly. And it's because God told them when they when he destroyed, when he delivered Jericho to their hands, just as a gift-wrapped present, they did not fight for it one bit. God handed it to them. He said, don't take any of the plunder. Just leave it. But Achan sees some things he likes. A robe, gold bar, some silver. And he takes it and he hides it. And because of that, A number of Israelites die as they are trying to fight. I think it was 36 people died because of Achan's sin as they were trying to fight Ai, and they get routed. And now the reason I'm recapping all that is to remind us where we've been, but also to kind of bring up this point, Joshua then prays out to God and says, God, why did you let this happen? Now, all the other kings of of, uh, this promised land that you've given us, that you said you're going to give us, they're going to hear about this, and they're just going to have a field day with us. Now that they know that we're vulnerable. And then God reveals to Joshua, this is because Achan messed up. And so Achan is dealt with in the way that God asked him to. So all that brings us to this story today. But that's an important prayer. So I just want to read that real quick in in Joshua 7, verse 9. Natalie, it's not in there. You guys can flip to it. You'll have to believe me. I don't have it on the screen. But after they're defeated at Ai, before it's revealed to Joshua that it was Achan's sin that brought this on him, this is Joshua's prayer. Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you bring this people across the Jordan to destroy us into the hands of the Amorites, to deliver us in the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? If only we being content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and other people of this country will hear about this and they will surround us and they will wipe out our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your own great name? Joshua has this idea that because they were routed, because they lost, that that ruins their witness, that ruins their strength, it ruins every advantage that they have. His fear is that the other countries will now hear that they were beat once and now they're just going to come in and pounce on them. And God, at the beginning of chapter 8, addresses that right away by assuring Joshua that his plan is still in place. Chapter 8 starts out with Joshua with God saying to Joshua, Do not be afraid. It reminds us of chapter 1 when they started this whole thing. After Moses died, Joshua heard this word from God, Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. That's how God starts out chapter 8. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up. And so he tells them, take the whole army and go up with you, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. God is basically restoring the promise of Joshua saying, hey, nothing's happened here. You lost one battle. There was a reason for that. My plan is still in place. God addresses it in chapter 8 by assuring Joshua that his plan is still there. So the first thing that, that we want to mention this morning in this, because this whole kind of chapter 8 is all about obedience to God, is that God's will will be done regardless of our obedience. God does not need you. God does does not need Mosaic church. God does not need a church in easily. God's will will be accomplished. In fact, the only people to this point who believed in Yahweh was Israelites. God's saying, I don't need you. I'm God. I created all of this, all of these people. Our obedience does not dictate God's will. God's will is going to be done regardless of our obedience. So let's think about Moses. God had promised Moses. What? He said, hey, Moses, in this burning bush, come out. You're going to lead my people out of Egypt, and then I'm going to, you're going to lead them into the land that I promised them. That's your task. That's what I'm promising. That's what I'm telling you. If you have to go back to this place where some people saw some nasty things that I did, and they know me, and they, but God's told me to go, and so I'm, I'm going to go, and they did it. And he led them out of Egypt with this miraculous thing and they get on the other side of the Red Sea and they're about to go into this promised land then. And Moses says, hey, let's send some spies out, make sure this is okay. And they came back with a report that said, I don't know about this. There's some big people in there, some good land, but there's some big people. We don't know if we can do this. And God said, because of your unfaithfulness to trust and believe me that I was going to do this, you're not going to receive this. God's will was still done. We're seeing that now with Joshua. The people of Israel still made it into the promised land. He didn't need Moses to do it, even though he had told Moses, this is going to be your task. God may be telling you, God may be telling us, this is what I want for you. But if we're not being obedient to what God's asking us to do, he can accomplish that with somebody else. He doesn't need us. What does scripture say in Psalms? I want you to worship me, Right. But I got to, if you don't, I'm okay. I will let the rocks and the trees cry. I don't need you. Now, that sounds a little bit of a bummer. I get it. But he doesn't. But here's the beautiful part of that. God wants us to. God invites us to. God allows us to take part in his kingdom work in the world. Think about Achan. We just read his story, right? He was part of the people of Israel. He was promised he was going to go in there. Achan messed up. God said, I'm going to deliver these people into your hands, and then they get beat. Was God's will not done? Yes. In fact, we're seeing it now in chapter 8. He delivers Ai into their hands in Bethel. He didn't need them, though. He could have done it without them. And he showed them, hey, if you're not obedient to me, you're not going to get it thing that we miss out on is do we get to play a part in that. We can enjoy the blessings of seeing God work and allowing him to work through us, or we can rebel against the plan and never see the victory that God has for us. I told you guys a couple times about a story uh, of me in Nashville and God doing some things uh, that God worked through me to the homeless community at Nashville. And there were times where I saw just beautiful kind of miraculous stuff happen when I felt God's prompting to, hey, go buy this guy a meal. Go spend some time with this guy. In fact, don't just hand him five bucks. Walk with him. Take a walk, 20 minute walk down to the Wendy's all the way down Broadway near Vanderbilt. And we walked and he shared his story and he opened up and he was broken. He was crying and we got to pray together. It's beautiful stuff, right? Because I was obedient to what God asked me to do. I've also felt that same prompting before and drove right by. No clue what kind of blessing and what kind of miraculous thing would have been done had I been obedient, but I wasn't in those moments. And you can probably think of stories in your own life that were like that. God doesn't need you for his will to be done, but he invites us in there. Like God wanted it to be through them. I'm sure God's plan, he really wanted Moses to be the God to lead him in. There was some unfaithfulness there. There was some disobedience. God said, well, I mean, I'm still going to make it happen. And, and what did Moses do? The, the beautiful thing about Moses is because at that point, this is uh, getting a little off topic, but before we're going today, but at that point, Moses could have got his heart hardened and said, forget it. I got nothing else to do with you. I'm done. But Moses wasn't. Moses repented and he knew. He said, God, you're God and it's going to be okay. And so Moses faithfully led the people for the next 40 years, even though he knew I'm not going to get in there. And he died on the mountain overlooking it, knowing I'm not going to get in there. But he said, God is good. It was it was my fault, and, and it had to be dealt with. But God is good. And he continued in that. So in that moment, we can let her. That's a little bit off topic, I know. But we can enjoy the blessings of seeing God work and allowing him to work through us, or so we can rebel and miss out on all that. But God doesn't need us, but he wants us to be involved in his plan. So I want to read uh, two scriptures, and they say very similar things, but something happens in the middle of them. So I'm going to read verse 1 and verse 7. Okay, The Lord then said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. God starts this out by saying, I have delivered them into your hands. Verse 7. You were to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. Verse 1 said, I've already given it into your hand. Verse 7 says, if you put this ambush in place, I'm going to give it into your hand. Second thing about obedience that we can learn from the scripture this morning is obedience has hands. It has feet. It has muscles. It has flesh and bones. It's moving. It's active. Obedience is not a passive thing. Um. God had promised them, I'm going to give you the city. But he also says, hey, if you're doing this, you're going to get the city. God told Joshua the city would be given to his hands. But he also told him that he would give the city into his hands. It was a promise that required action. What was that action? Was that the ambush? And then when they're retreating, remember, they're running backwards. And Joshua, God tells Joshua, hold out the javelin. And when he did, that's when the ambush came. He says, Scripture tells us he held it there until it was all done. Reminds us of that story of Moses, right? Where they're in the battle. And Moses is holding up his hands. And when his hands start to fall, they start to lose. And when right, he it's kind it's of kind of a reminder of that story. But God has promised, I'm, I've already given the city into your hands, but hey, there's something you got to do to get that. Right? It's similar to the promise of the promised land. Hey, I've given you this land. You're going to get it. you got to do some things. you got to leave Egypt. you got to cross the Red Sea. you got to trust and obey. And if you don't, there's going to be a delay in that. There's a guy by the name of David Firth. You've probably never heard of him. He's a lecturer at a, a seminary in England. And he wrote a commentary on the book of Joshua, and this is what he had to say about that. The crucial point, however, was not so much the detail of the plan. What he's referring to is it's not so much about how it happened. It wasn't so much about the ambush. Remember, uh, God gave Joshua some military strategy on this one, but the first one, he just said walk. So it had nothing to do. It's not so much the detail of the plan, but the fact that Israel was to do what Yahweh said. Moreover, there is an interesting contrast between Yahweh's declaration to Joshua that the city had been given into his hands and the statement in verse 7 that Yahweh would give the city into Israel's hands. The two statements do not contradict one another but rather show that what Yahweh had already declared still needed to be made reality. And that reality would be achieved through an obedient Israel. There's some hope in that phrase it's not that God doesn't want to see salvation come to our friends, our neighbors, our family, greater easily, greater upstate areas, South Carolina, the United States, the whole world. But that reality is achieved through us being obedient to what God has called us to do. God hasn't called us to sit around and memorize scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. He may actually be doing that actually, so I can't say he's not. But whatever that obedience is, we know that God has called us to go into all the world, and that includes this part, and make disciples. If we're not doing that, what does that say about our obedience? So hopefully we're making disciples in some way, whether it's a life-on-life thing or whether we know and hear God's word. We know that God has called us to do stuff. Even Joshua's first command at Jericho. It was different. It wasn't military strategy where we say, hey, you know, you're going to set this ambush, we're going to fight, we're going to do this kind of stuff. It was I just walk. But they still had to do something. They had to hear and know God's word first. The third thing we see in this is it had nothing to do, and I just alluded to it, but it had nothing to do with a formula. It wasn't military strategy. It wasn't, oh, well, God's going to be faithful to them if they don't take the plunder. God's going to be faithful to them if they don't lift a sword because all they're going to have to do is walk. It had nothing to do with any of that. There wasn't a formula. There's a lot of things, and there's a lot of books, and there's a lot of conferences and seminars that we can go to in the church world that say, here's the formula Five keys for your best life. Eight ways to know God's voice. There isn't a formula. It's just obedience to God. And I don't think there's any way that we can, and we're going to get here, so let me just stop before I jump ahead of myself. But it, sh- it shows us just like the difference between Ahab, I mean, excuse me, Rahab and Achan. One was faithful and obedient to God, the other wasn't. Now, one had the bloodline, one had the whole genealogy, was ready to go in. But God showed through that the Israelite was the one that was stoned in front of the entire community. In fact, his whole family was stoned with him and all of livestock and everything he ever owned seems a little excessive. God's war on sin was serious. He said, I don't want this in there. But regardless of genealogy, regardless of any of that stuff, I'm going to bless those who are being to me who believe me and kind of know me. And so Rahab, you're in the fold, Achan, you're out. Has nothing to do with where you were born, who you were born into. It has to do with your bloodline. Can you trace yourself back to Abraham? I don't care, God's saying. It has to do with, are you going to be obedient to me and to follow me? I'm not going to read it all, but I'll recap the last five verses, last six verses of the chapter, verse 30 through 35. They've won this battle. God has delivered into them. And let me just go back. I think one of the interesting things, I love the fact that, that this battle with AI is right after the battle of Jericho. Because the battle of Jericho, the people are told just to walk around the city. Don't do anything else. I'm going to give it to you. But when I do, don't take anything. The battle of AI. God said, hey, I want you to fight. We're going to do some military strategy here. We're going to kind of get some some uh, some strategy going, and you're going to take it because of this strategy that I'm giving you. I want you to obey this. And guess what? When you win, you get to take the stuff too. God, it wasn't, I mean, we can get wrapped up. It was like the argument that Peter and Paul had in the New Testament. Peter was wrestling with himself with this thing with, you know, Gentiles and the way that they weren't circumcised and the food they ate and all the stuff. And Paul's saying, man, all of it's, all of it's good. All of it God created. There wasn't. It wasn't the plunder was bad and God said, hey, you know, it wasn't like the plunder AI was holier than the plunder at Jericho. It was all it was all foreign and it was all not, uh, you know, I'm sure there were idols and there's all kinds of things that, that were involved here. And it wasn't anything that God said, this is bad and this is good. God said, are you going to obey me or not? Because they, they could have easily... Joshua could easily said, don't take any of the plunder, because remember what happened at Jericho's. So we can't do that this time. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with obedience to God. It was just like with Samuel. God said, destroy everything. Excuse me, with Saul. God said, Destroy everything. Saul said, Yeah, we're going to destroy everything. We're going to be obedient to that. He said, We're going to hold some out just a sacrifice to you. God said, that is not, that's not what I ask you to do. After, God is, after they won this battle, the last six verses tells us they went to have this worship service. And here's what the worship service consisted of. They set up pillars. They, they set up an altar. They made sacrifices. And then Joshua read to them the entire law of Moses. But I don't think that's lost in this part of the battle that after God gives them the victory because of their obedience that now they worship and in worshiping part of their worship wasn't just the sacrifices it was actually reading all of the law reading Genesis through Deuteronomy is that the last one I'd have to do my little song in my head yep Deuteronomy um Knowing the Word of God is essential to being obedient to the Word of God. How can we be obedient to the Word of God if we don't know it? Right now, there's a group of people who are gathering. I encourage you, if you're not gathering with them, to kind of start now if you want it. There's a, and this is not again. There's not a formula. But it's a good. It's a good thing. You could certainly do it where you can go through this thing, experiencing God, and hear. Other people sharing stories about how in the world did I know and hear when God was speaking to me? How do I know if God's telling me to walk around the city or go in ambush? There are people here, and I've had conversations with people here who are like, I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know God's voice. And that's, uh, I think it's fantastic that you would want to. Some people are just like, I don't know God's voice, I'm not even going to try. I think one place to start is here. We know the word of God. We can read it. It's not say God can't speak. God can't or doesn't speak specifically to us. He absolutely does. But hearing and knowing the word of God is essential to our obedience. It was a, that's what I think why Joshua read it he, as a way to say, hey, remember, this is what God has instructed for us to do. This is the law that we are to obey. So after we win this great battle, we're going to set up and worship, and I'm just going to bore you to death by reading it all. The interesting thing that I think is that it specifically says in there that he read the blessings and the curses. We want time. We want a lot of times, like I said at the beginning in my confession, is I would like to leave the whole sin thing out of it and just read the blessings. That's the good stuff. Like, that's what we want. That's the encouragement. We just want that constant encouragement to feel good about ourselves. That's the word of God has both blessings and the curses. He said Joshua read them all. The blessings and the curses to the people of Israel. One is an encouragement to say, this is who God is. The other one also is an encouragement to say, this is who God is. Just like the, like the progress of the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. I think it says backwards in that. Same meaning though. That is actually the beginning of wisdom, the spirit of God. I have this holy view of who God is. He has the power to give these blessings, and the power to give these curses. And God doesn't need us to accomplish his will, but he wants us to be there. Obedience requires our action and has hands and feet. Whether it's just walking, there may be a period of time where God's saying, I just want you to Pray. There's also periods of time where God says, Now's the time to move, here's the strategy, here's what I want you to do. It's not a formula, but it's just simple, direct obedience to God. And knowing the word of God is essential. The beautiful thing is that God restored Israel that day to say, Hey, just because there was some sin, we got it covered. You're not doomed for eternity. All the kingdoms of Canaan are not going to come and trounce you because of this. I'm still God. I'm still on the throne. I'm still going to accomplish my will. I just don't need you for it. But I want you to be involved. That bloodshed, there was a lot of bloodshed in this. And God at some point said, we don't need all that. In fact, we're going to need a bigger sacrifice than this. And so he came here in the form of a man. Took on all humanity, died the death that we all should have died, lived the life that we could not live, and then died that death, and then he rose again. And we get to come and remember that no matter where we've messed up this week, the promises of God are not wrecked because we messed up this week. In fact, God knew you were going to mess up this week, so he sent a sacrifice so that you could be restored back to the Savior. That's God's news. That is the good news. That's what we get to go into Lent with this idea of preparing ourselves to hear that good news. And God's asking us to share that good news in all kinds of ways. How he's telling you that? I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit, I'm not your convictor. I know how he's sharing it to me. And our prayer is that he shares it to us as a church on how he wants Mosaic to do that. God is asking us, so we get to come this morning, no matter what's happening this week, whether it's good or bad. If it's good, we get to come with celebration in our hearts and say, God, thank you so much for the sacrifice. Thank you that you revealed yourself this week and that you have been good to me this week. Or we can come, God, I blew it, but you've been good to me this week because I can come to this table. The plan's not wrecked. Your will is still in place. I can win the battle this week that I lost this past week because of your goodness. And so this morning, we're going to come. Before we do that, we're going to pray. And then I'll be silent for a few minutes. So if any of you have anything you need to, uh, that you would like to be prayed for, or if there's some, something I don't know about that you'd like to be prayed for, we're going to offer that. And then we'll come to the table and we'll sing a couple more songs in thanks of who God is and what He's done in our life. God, you have been good. A lot of times we haven't. There's times we are lives and we blew it either way. We needed you. We need you constantly. There's not a moment of our life that goes by that we don't need you. Forgive us when we think I've got this together and I can do it without you for a little bit. God, we need you all the time. And God, would you, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us. Would you speak to us, help us to know and to hear Help us to know Your voice, and then also, as we hear it, to be obedient to it. God, while I'm thankful that You use me to accomplish Your will, I'm also thankful that You don't need me, because You're that big. Sometimes it's overwhelming when we think of how big and powerful You are, and but we're thankful. God, there's a lot of folks in our community who don't know you, who don't yet love you, who may have seen a bad picture of what the church is. They may have seen a good picture of it just don't yet believe. But our prayer is that we are a good picture individually and corporately of what it is. We are a good picture of what you can do through people and how you are moving your church. And God, when we mess up, we're thankful for your grace. That's not gonna hold that against us, but it's gonna accept us back. That's gonna continue to let your will be done. God, this morning we pray that you would continue to be with our brother Perry. God, would you continue to move in all the ways that he needs you to move? Would you help us to be the family to him that he needs in this time of his life? God, we pray for our brother Terry, that you would continue to let him get stronger. God, his other medical tests and procedures are done. We pray for your will to be realized. We're thankful for the ways that you've been gracious and merciful to him already. We ask for a full recovery. But God, more than that, we pray for your will. Would you reveal yourself through all that you do in Terry's life? And God, we pray that you'd be with Miss Barbara, that you would give her comfort in this moment's we haven't seen her as a family in months. God, our prayers that she knows that there are people who love her and pray for her still. God, would you keep her comfortable? Would you give Norma and Will peace and rest during this time, we pray. And God, we pray that you would um, be merciful to her. God, would you hear any other prayers that we have this morning? God, as we come to this table, we're thankful for who you are and all that you've done. As you move in our hearts, we pray this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information, please visit us at www.mosaiceasley.org.